Well, we've been talking about the great I am for um, 10 weeks, I believe it is at this point, and uh, we've looked at a number of things, and I'm not going to review the whole thing today. I'm sticking together today. I hate when that happens. Um, We've talked about how he's our shield and how he's our guide. He says, I am the Almighty. I'm your vision. I'm your deliverer. I'm your standard. Uh, I'm still God. And you're going, didn't we have uh, something about this once before? Yes. And I didn't change the title slide, so that's on me. It should be, I am still God. Uh, I do the PowerPoints for services right now, so I apologize for that mistake. But uh, he's our judge. He's faithful. And we've looked at the last couple of weeks, we looked at um, Isaiah at about 80 years before uh, the southern kingdom went into captivity and how he spoke into the nation and said, guys, we're being foolish, we're being, we're being sinful, we're not doing the right things, we're tolerating all this stuff, and the people of God go, eh. And then we looked at Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was right there at the end of that time before the nation of Judah and Benjamin went into captivity, and he says, it's going to be bad. There's going to be folks who are going to die. The city's going to be destroyed. It's going to be desolate right here. It's going to be a mess. And God's people went, eh. Today, we're going to look at Ezekiel. Now, you're probably thinking, are we going to talk about a wheel within a wheel? Oh, we are not going to talk about the wheel within a wheel, okay? But what we're going to talk about is the situation that Ezekiel finds himself in. Because Ezekiel, as unusual as he is and some of the strangest things he wrote, he found himself not living in the promised land, but being in those early waves of exiles, just about the time the city was destroyed. He was hauled off to what is today called Iraq in that land between the Tigris and Euphrates River uh, where he was in exile. His life was radically changed. He was no longer allowed to live in the promised land. He was no longer allowed to live where God's people were supposed to be. And he finds himself hundreds of miles away from there. And his prophetic ministry didn't start early. Remember, Jeremiah started as a kid. Ezekiel started about the age 30, and he prophesied till he was about 50, and then he disappeared. We don't know if he died or if God was just done with him, but that season in his life. And he was called by God to speak to his people in the midst of massive turmoil and a mass, massive punishment brought on because the people's attitude was, eh, so what, God? But Ezekiel had a word of promise for the people, a promise for the remnant that he was going to preserve, that he was still the God who is faithful. And what we find in this passage is Ezekiel speaks to the mountains, warns of coming destruction, he gives a ray of hope, and then he gives a lament at all the mess they found themselves in. And so basically the summary, if you wanted to write this down, one line is even when we find ourselves under his judgment, God is still there. God is still there. Let's open this passage in verse 1 and 2 where we see the statement is basically this, Oh, how wickedness has flourished. Verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, 
Set your face toward the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them and say, You mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains and the hills, to the ravines and the valleys. Behold, I, even I, God says, will bring a sword upon you and I will destroy your high places. You're going, this is kind of depressing. Yeah, it kind of is. As the prophecy opens, what we find is the word of God coming to Ezekiel, looking around at the mess that they have made of their blessing. And remember, God had chosen these people out of that region that they were in captivity in. It's the same area where Abram lived originally, but he was brought out of that area. And they were, they'd been brought out centuries before, and they had answered God's call, and they had moved to the promised land, just the two of them. And he had made a nation out of them through the series of events that happened over that time. But over time, they found themselves like some intoxicated fellow wavering between faithfulness and unfaithfulness, wandering to God, wandering away from God, going back to God, going away from God, finding themselves in a mess. So often their attitude was characterized by that phrase. Eh. They'd made poor choices and their land had been decimated. Now, why did all this happen? Because they had allowed wickedness not just to remain, but they allowed it to flourish, to blossom, to grow, to expand, to be all through the promised land, through the people. And when they ignore this sinfulness, what they found is that when you ignore sinfulness, sinfulness grows. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so God told the prophet, speak to the mountains of Israel, prophesy, speak to the hills, speak to the ravines, speak to the valleys. You're going, man, I've never walked around talking to the property before. That's not what he's doing. What he's being told to do is to talk to people across the land. Speak to everybody. There's a problem, folks. Wickedness has been allowed to remain. They need to understand they were undergoing this serious trial, not because God was vindictive. Oh, no. It was not because the evil king, Nebuchadnezzar, was so powerful. Oh, no. It wasn't because of that. It was because they had allowed sin to remain in the land. And when they allowed it to remain, it blossomed, it grew, it expanded, it flourished. They need to understand they were going through this trial not because God wanted to hurt them, but because he loved them. They were experiencing this season because they've allowed this stuff to go on. And when God set down the law, he wasn't doing it as some cosmic killjoy saying, I want to ruin your fun. He was saying, no, when you live a life like this, you will reap what you sow. You reap wickedness when you sow wickedness. You reap evil when you sow evil. He says, this is why you're in the situation you're in. You've chosen a path of wicked foolishness, and here's the outcome. What is the outcome? It ain't pretty, as we might say today. Here's what God's going to do. Look at the end of verse 2. Behold, I. Now, this is God speaking through the prophet. Behold, I, even I. Now, y'all, if you've got the the visual here, but God himself says, I'm going to step into the situation. You have created a mess. I have called to you. I've sent prophet after prophet after prophet. I've said, come back, and you've stayed there. So now here's what's God going to what's God going to do here's what he says I will bring a sword on you. You're going, "Well, I thought the Babylonians came and attacked. I thought the the, the armies of Nebuchadnezzar attacked." Oh, they did. Don't misunderstand. But who was directing the whole process behind the scenes? This is the thing we really struggle with when we think about God. God wouldn't do that to his people, would he? 
Not only would he, he did. And he does. And he may again one day. God says, I'm going to bring a sword on you and I will destroy the stuff you've been doing, the high places. And you're going, what's a high place? Back in that day, the pagan religions would always worship at the top of a hill because that's closer to God, right? To their God. And so they would go up there and they would plant trees, they would make an altar and they would sacrifice people, they would sacrifice animals, they would sacrifice all kinds of stuff on these high places. And God says, I'm going to come and destroy it all and take it down because wickedness has flourished. Therefore, or however, idolatry will be stopped. Look at verse 3. Your altars, your altars. Did you catch the plural there? Don't jump. You're going, man, he's going to dig into every little word. We're going to be in trouble. No, listen. He's not talking about the altar singular. The altar singular was where? At, at Jerusalem, at the temple. That was the altar. And what he's saying is your altars. All this foolishness you've allowed to remain in the land, all this wickedness you've allowed to happen, all the gods that you've worshipped, all the, the stuff you've been doing, your altars will become desolate and your incense altars will be broken and I will cast down your slain before your idols and I will lay the dead bodies of the people of Israel before their idols and I will scatter your bones around your altars. Wherever you dwell, the cities will shall be waste and the high places ruined and so that your altars will be waste and ruined and your idols broken and destroyed and your incense altars cut down and your works wiped out and the slain will fall in your midst and you shall know that I am the Lord. You know, if you stopped right before that last phrase, you'd go, sick them, get them, hook them, whatever it is, right? Ooh, pig, Okay. Then he adds that last line. He does that. Why? So you will know that I'm the Lord. He says, it's going to stop. After centuries of calling on his people to be faithful, after sending prophet after prophet to them and warning after warning and ongoing failure after ongoing failure of the people, God says, I will stop it. And you're going, whoo. When God steps in, look out. Look out. See, God will only tolerate our commitment to sin so long. He will only put up with our foolishness so long. As one old preacher uh, phrased it years ago, there will be payday someday. And in Ezekiel's time, someday was when? Today. The time was there. Ezekiel's saying, it's coming on us. It's right here now. I'm already in exile. I, I, I studied and researched this week. I'm trying to figure out Ezekiel. If he was exiled, if you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you remember those, that story in Daniel? This is the same time period as these fellows, okay? They were hauled off because they were the brightest and the best, and they were made to be servants of the, the pagan kings, and they were hauled off into that area. And, and, and they're living in this area and doing this. He says, why is this? Notice the word from God to Ezekiel. He says, the altars to false gods will become desolate. They won't be necessary anymore. The incense altars are going to be broken down. Your dead will be laid before the altars. Now that just sounds morbid, doesn't it? Your bones will be scattered about. One of the things that came out of the invasion of Judah during this time period is that many of the armies would come in and they would dig up uh, the bones of deceased folks and throw them all over the land to desolate the land. You're going, that's just disgusting. (laughs) Yeah, it's called war. They didn't dig graves below ground. They generally used caves or above ground boxes, and so it's pretty easy to get to them, and they just throw them out. 
Your high places will we'll be ruined. We already talked about that. Your works will be wiped out, and the slain will fall in your midst. You know, one of the images of war that is just so hard to deal with, and you've probably seen the photos from different wars in our last hundred years, but when you see pictures, you'll notice that there are bodies laying in the streets. That's war. This is not a uh, some easy experience where everybody comes together and sings Kumbaya, by the way, guys. This is ugly. This terrible season of utter destruction, destruction and desolation is going to be experienced by the people of God. Let me rephrase it. It is already being experienced by the people of God. Ezekiel has already been exiled himself. There's other people going, and they're about to see the city destroyed. It's really getting ugly. And God is doing this, and he would continue to do this. Why? Because the people continue to dwell in evil. And when God calls to them, they look at God and go, you know, with me? Eh, whatever. God says, I'm bringing it to a stop. God's patience had run out with them. It's like children playing musical chairs and there's always one chair too few. Remember, these folks are going to find out there are any chairs left when it's all said and done. And the choices of the many had affected the entire nation. See, we like to think to ourselves, we're sitting here in our beautiful auditorium on a Sunday morning at the first at the first Baptist Church of New Boston, and we like to think, oh, well, we're not like those sinful people out there. We'll be exempt from that stuff when it comes. Oh, no, we won't. When God's judgment falls on a people, it falls on everybody. Depressed yet? Look at verse 8. Yet. Yet. I will leave some of you alive. Yea, God. Some of us. When you have among the nations some who escape the sword, and when you are scattered through the countries, then those of you who escape remember me among the nations where they were carried captive how I have been broken over their whoring heart that has departed from me and over their eyes that go whoring after their idols. Ezekiel doesn't pull punches, if you noticed. And they will be loathsome in their own sight for the evils that they have committed, for all their abominations. And they will know that I am the Lord. Have I not said in vain that I will do this evil to them? Now, with mass deportations already occurring, it would seem to many, as God is at work against us, it would seem like their days are numbered because they are. Yet they need to understand that God is working on a much broader and bigger scale than they can even begin to understand. What we need to grasp with this is God is in the process of purifying this nation so that he can then bring about the promise that you and I desperately need in a Messiah. He would leave some of them alive. Some would stay in the promised land. Most would be exiled. There would be mass destruction. There would be mass death. But God says, I'm going to hang on to a remnant for myself. And with the mess they're facing, it seemed like it's God. Have you abandoned us? And what he's doing is he's working in what you and I would go, man, that's weird. I would prefer to phrase it this way. It's a very peculiar way that God's at work. He was guiding the process of, and the thinking of a pagan God, a king, excuse me, to come in and correct his people so they could be purified and be the nation they needed to be to then produce the Messiah. And some of you would say, well, that seems awfully extreme, God. 
Let me remind you, God's ways are not like our ways. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. He doesn't operate in the ways that we think he should. And while many people would be scattered across the world, God was still holding hope through the process. This foolishness by the people would bring about broken hearts, but hope remained. And even though they have been whoring after other gods, what God is doing in the lives of his people is allowing, bringing, even causing hardship to bring them back to himself. And in that is the hope that remains. Hope remains through this, as ugly as it is. And yet, look at the mess we made. The other day I was um, pulling one of those Pyrex uh, measuring cups out of the microwave. had water in it. I was boiling water to make oatmeal, I think it was. And I opened the microwave and grabbed that thing, and it exploded in my hands. Thankfully, I had glasses on and it ricocheted off my glasses, didn't get my eyes. But it made a mess in the kitchen. So what I did is I got all the pieces together and I started piecing that Pyrex. Y'all, come on. You know better than that. That thing went in the trash. I was picking up glass and Heather was picking up glass for a week in that kitchen because it went everywhere. Once the mess is made, you got to deal with it, Right? And that's what he says here. Thus says the Lord God. Clap your hands and stomp your foot and say, Alas, because of all the evil abominations of the house of Israel, they will fall by the sword, by famine, by pestilence. And he who is far off shall die of pestilence. And he who is near shall fall by the sword. And he who is lift and is preserved shall die of famine. Thus I will spend my fury upon them. And you will know that I am the Lord. When their slain lie among their altars, their idols around their altars on every high mountain, every hill, and on all the mountaintops under every green tree and under every leafy oak, wherever they offered pleasing aroma to all their idols, and I will stretch out my hand against them and make the land desolate and waste in all their dwelling places for the wilderness of, from the wilderness to Ribla, that's a city, then they shall know that I am the Lord. Now you're going, it got good for a second there. There was some hope for a moment. But let me tell you what, once God's judgment falls on a people, the consequences have to be walked through. Just like I couldn't put that Pyrex measuring cup back together, it took time, didn't it, to clean up the mess. It took time to walk through the process. And that's where God's people are finding themselves, in the middle of it. He says, okay, it's happened. It's happening. It's going on. It's going to be bad. It's terrible. They've reaping, they are reaping what they've sown. And you read that passage, and we've got this, we've got a cool song. I don't remember the name of the song. Y'all could remember. It says, stomp your hands, clap your feet song. You know what I'm talking about? That's not what he's talking about here. Because we sing that song and we think, oh, praise the Lord. We're stomping our feet. And yeah. This is, have you ever seen a Middle Eastern woman wail? Wah! You're right? That's, everybody awake now? All right. Y'all, y'all know the visual? That's the visual you have here. Is this wailing because we can't fix what we've done. It's a mess. We've got to walk through it. We can't get away from it. It's terrible. That's the visual here. They needed to grasp 
Ezekiel is telling them, God's telling them through Ezekiel, you need to grasp the mess that you have made because of your sin, because you refuse to bow your knee to the Lord, because you've rejected the counsel of God, because you've thumbed your nose at God, your hearts have to be broken. You've got to go through the season. And as Ezekiel looked around at the place in which the people found themselves, they were in a mess. But through it all, God is still revealing himself. God is still speaking to his people. God is still calling to his people, even in the trial they're in. He's calling them to repentance. He's calling them to bring his good in their lives. So what do you do with a passage like this? The study was hard enough, can I tell you that, to figure out what he's talking about in the passage. Or at least what I think God laid on my heart that he's talking about here. There's three things I want you to see, and we're, we're doing good. The first one is this. Wickedness grows where goodness is diminished. We live in a day, folks, where wickedness is not just tolerated. It's now celebrated. Things that were considered despicable just a decade ago are things we now march, and not we, but people march to support now. And you say, well, we need to be respectful and, and, and loving and caring. We live in a secular society, and we, so we have to do that. That may be true, but folks, we as the people of God need to lovingly and compassionately stand up and speak against sin and wickedness. And we as the church need to be committed to holiness and righteousness. In the name of love and tolerance, we are expected today to look the other way. In the days leading to the destruction of the nation of the people of God, whom he called to himself, they'd chosen not just to reject his ways, but they actually began to embrace pagan practices. Oh, my folks, my folks, my folks, that's going on today. They engaged in worship of false gods. They sacrificed their children to false gods. They consciously chose to tolerate the wickedness. And the day had come where people died. Others were exiled and there were others facing famine because of the judgment. And what better word than what Solomon wrote, wrote many years before? He says, do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. Folks, we have to make a choice day by day of how we're going to live our lives as the church of God. Are we going to tolerate the world? Are we going to celebrate the ways of the world? Are we going to stand lovingly and compassionately? Listen, we don't want to become rude and crude in the process of trying to be holy. kind of counteracts the process, you with me? But to stand up and speak the truth. There's a, a place where we who follow God have to interact with the pagans, but we've got to bring the love of Jesus, and we can't water the ways of God down. Let us be in the world, but not of the world. Let us love the people of the world without adopting the practices of the world.
when we in the church act just like the world, those who don't profess to know God, what a sad place. Because when we embrace sin, we also embrace God's judgment in time. That's what happened to the people here. Second thing, God's patience eventually runs out. Aren't you glad God is gracious? Aren't you glad God is loving? Aren't you glad He's merciful? Aren't you glad He forgives? Maybe we ought to be shouting, yes, amen. But God is also a God who says enough is enough. We like to think we can do whatever our heart desires and God is going to be okay with it. I got to tell you what, we are absolutely and totally wrong when we think that. All the people of Judah had to do was this. Did you hear what happened up in uh, Samaria? Did you hear what happened up around the Sea of Galilee? Did you hear what happened up there at Dan and up in that part of the country about 100 years ago, 150 years ago? Did you hear what happened to them? Y'all are going, what happened to them? They got wiped off the face of the earth. They got deported across the kingdom at the time. Why? Because God brought judgment on them. And we're sitting here in Jerusalem going, oh, but we've got the temple, but we've got this, and we've got God's blessing, and we're so spiritual. And God said, hmm, my patience has run out. I suspect the same God written about in the prophecies of Ezekiel is the same God we, we at least profess to serve today. And I really do believe time is running short for modern people to repent of our foolish actions toward God. See, we read those words that we had in our prayer time earlier. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And we read that and think, oh, that must mean that God says we can do whatever we want to do. We can just keep on going and he'll take care of us. Read it again. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in love. But nowhere does he write a blank check to us that says you can do whatever you want to. I don't know if you're aware, but there's a pretty good chance that the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee, you're going, who? It's the group that runs our convention of churches between our annual meetings, is about to come under a Department of Justice investigation. Have you read that story? Because of cover-ups that have been going on for years, of men in the leadership have covered up men who have abused women and children and moved, got them to move to some other church so that nobody would take accountability for it. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, Lord, help us. The men who are supposed to be spiritual leaders in our denomination. Breaks my heart. And more importantly, can I tell you something? It breaks God's heart when we do that. We put up with and tolerate and almost celebrate. Sin, though, always has a consequence. Rebellion always brings an outcome. And when those of us who profess to follow God keep on running our lives in ways contrary to God's perfect principles, payday will come someday. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. But it will come. One more, and I'll be done. God uses hardships to convict us. 
Sometimes we look at a hardship in life and we think, oh man, God's, I guess he's abandoned me. He's just leaving me to this. No, maybe he's trying to use this to say, hey, are you listening to me? Hey, where are you at? Hardships come to convict us. The entire reason God allowed, sent, even caused the armies of King Nebuchadnezzar to march into the city was not to destroy the people. It was not to destroy the temple. It was not to destroy the city. The series of events happened to bring about a brokenness among the people of God. It happened so that the people of God would look up instead of in. That they would call out to God and try to, try to figure out how to do it themselves. And God had miraculously chosen these people to be his. And he planned to bring about the greatest gift for all mankind. But he had to get them ready first. Which leads me to the thought, hardships come to convict us of our sin. One of the earlier scripture verses that I ever learned, I was, um, some of y'all don't know this, or many of you don't know this, but my sophomore year of high school, uh, I was diagnosed that my left hip was 20% out of position. I had a hard time walking. And the doctor said, well, the only way to fix it is we're going to pin it. And, you know, back in the day, you know, 100 years ago, you know, they put you in the hospital and keep you for whatever time they needed until they let you out. Now they cut, slice and dice and kick you out the door. But back then they keep you. Well, I, I got put in the hospital um, with... Uh, four pins in my hip and I was in traction for two weeks to get it to heal. Um, And then I developed blood clots and had to be kept another two weeks. I spent a whole month of my sophomore year in high school in the hospital. Uh, I didn't do well in class that year. Let's leave it at that. But during that time, our youth pastor came to me. He was new. I had not met him. He had started that fall right before I had surgery. And, um, he came to me and he started sharing with me the gospel. Now, my daddy's a deacon. You with me? We went to church all the time. He's sharing the gospel with me. He says, Patrick, you need to, need, you need to meet Jesus. And I said, I already know Jesus. He says, well, then why aren't you living like it? And, you know, back in the day, the TV in the hospital was three channels. Oh, and did not forget to mention it was Adventist hospitals. They had no meat in the hospital. It was a miserable experience. No good food, nothing to watch, nothing. I mean, there's soap operas all day. That's all it was back then, you know. And this youth pastor came in and arrogantly says to me, why aren't you living for the Lord? And I said, well, oh, he says, I want to share you a verse. It's Psalm 139. He says, Patrick, I want you to pray this prayer. Pray this scripture as a a prayer to the Lord. Let me tell you something. Be careful about praying this prayer. Because God will answer it. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way. That's how the King James translated it in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. God can use hardships in our lives to bring about bitterness if we're not careful, rebellion if we're not careful, or better repentance and change.
as he convicts us and as we begin to confess sin. And when he shows us those areas where we allow sin to dwell in our lives, then what we get to do is, is to, to pray. And you're going, okay, I thought you were already praying. Yeah, I'm talking about now a prayer of asking God to forgive. And I'm not talking about the prayer that sometimes we pray, God, forgive me of all my sins. I call that a wholesale prayer. There's a place for that. Don't worry. I'm not criticizing the prayer. I'm just saying I think in this situation it needs to be more than that. And we need to pray what I call retail. You know, let me ask you something. You want to buy a new piece of furniture? Do you want to buy it wholesale or retail? Which one's cheaper? Wholesale every time, right? But a retail prayer says, God, forgive me of stealing this from that store. Forgive me of being rude to my mother. Forgive me of speaking poorly to my friends. Forgive me of, forgive to name the prayers, name the sins one by one and ask God to forgive and he will. Because as we feel the weight of sin, we begin to understand the offensiveness of our sin to God. I think that's what God was trying to do through these people as they kept going, eh, whatever, God. They needed to be convicted of that sin, that, that weight, so they confessed it to God, not wholesale. God, forgive me of all my sins, amen. But to really spend some time saying, God, this, I agree with you on this, this was wrong. I agree with you on this, it was wrong. This is wrong. Yes, God, you're right. I'm wrong. Thank you for forgiving me. He'll do that. I'm going to tell you, some of you this morning, you've never prayed a prayer like that. You've never said, God, forgive me of my sin. That's the place to start. I'd love to pray with you down here at the front or after the service and just love you to to get that nailed down in your life. But for many of us, here's what we've been doing. We've been saying, God's been saying to us, I want you to follow me. I want you to be faithful to me. I want you to be committed to me. I want you to live your life to me. And we look at God and say, eh, I'm okay. I'm here to tell you this morning. You're not okay if that's your attitude because God has something way better for you than that than just going through the motions waiting for life to be over. He's got something serious for you if you'll let him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for loving us. And God, I, I know a passage like this and a message like this is difficult. But Father, sometimes you just have to break through us and break through the hardness of our hearts. And Lord, a preacher can't do that. A musician can't do that. Our mamas and daddies can't do that for us. That is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Father, we pray right now, Holy Spirit, move in us in a way that we can only explain as God at work. We want you to be free in our lives to be your people. And Father, the way the world may be falling down around us and though the world may be facing judgment from you in time, God, if we find ourselves in the midst of that being faithful, we'll still be able to look up and say, I praise the name of Jesus through it all. God, we want to be people who love you, not on Sunday, but all week. We don't want to be spiritual just for the church crowd. We want you to grow in our lives and move in our lives in ways that are awesome every day of the week. And we pray your blessing on us as we surrender ourselves to you. In Jesus' name.